This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com, and you can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. And you can also check us out at Indie Popcon on June 9th through the 11th, I think, is the day, are the dates. Sure. Uh, the first weekend of <laughs> June, um, we just officially purchased our booth um, this week. So uh, super excited about that. Uh, it's it's going to be a very interesting PopCon for, mm-hmm. for me, at least, personally, because I'm coming straight from a four, like four or five days in Vegas, straight to PopCon. And uh, also, we're going to try to get our... Uh, booths or like our booth next to i i kind of my my dream for popcon 2018 is to have our booth be sandwiched between the nerds you're looking for and uh uh indiana geeking or geeking in indiana.com tony mm-hmm. um, <laughs> anyway so that's the dream uh and i'm gonna try to make that happen anyway so yeah that's how you can contact us and then also if you want to become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer uh, you can do that by going to that website that I just mentioned. <laughs> um, and speaking of Patreon, a couple things. One, I'm posting uh, movie uh, commentary tracks on the Patreon feed. So become a patron for a minimum of $1 a month and you'll get access to an RSS feed that's just commentary tracks. Um, I'm working on getting a bunch as many of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies commentaried out. Nice. Don't think I will be able to get it done by Infinity War, but maybe maybe I'll have all of them out by the time Infinity War comes out on DVD and Blu-ray. That's my that's my goal. But nice. anyway, um so yeah, so and then the other thing about Patreon is this is a special Patreon episode of the obsessive viewer, tiny, isn't that right? It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Do you want to tell people what we are doing today? We are going to review Pan's Labyrinth. Yes. Um, at the request of a Patreon or a patron, a patron, patron. Yes. Yeah. Uh, our our friend Robert, who is from Utah, uh, paid us money to watch Pan's Labyrinth, and uh, we are going to review it. St- just completely for him, mm-hmm. um, and also for you, for you guys. But you know, still send us money. That would be cool. Totes. Um, so yeah, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, I think I mentioned last uh, in the last episode that Robert told me that he uh, chose Pan's Labyrinth because he is determined to make me a Guillermo del Toro <laughs> fan, and uh, a worthy cause. Yeah, I, I think so too. After seeing Pan's Labyrinth, I would say yeah, that's that's a worthy cause. And good job on saying his name. I know. I've been I've been practicing. That's yeah. why we haven't recorded in like two weeks. Reference our one of our first handful of episodes. Uh yeah. Where we reviewed Pacific Rim. Yeah, that's and you, right. You were like Gol Golnamur Golnamurno. Golnamurno. Del Toro. 
And you know what? That is not even the worst. Uh, that isn't that isn't the most cringeworthy part of that, <laughs> because I also I don't know if it, I don't remember if it was actually in the episode or not. I think I because I, I don't know if I had the editing prowess to take it out, <laughs> but I very much did not know if it was Pan's Labyrinth or Pond's Labyrinth. Oh yeah, no idea why I would think that it would be Pond's or anything weird. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you live in the UK, yeah, Pond. Yeah, sure. That's how you would say it. Okay, gotcha. With a British accent. Pond. Sure, sure. Anyways, I wasn't trying that, but sure. Okay. Uh, at the time. I, th- I thought you might have been. No. Well, thank you for the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> anyway, sponsor for this week um, is once again Horror Movie Yearbook. Uh, they're a great uh, horror movie-centric uh, podcast that uh, takes a couple different uh, horror movies from a specific year and reviews and contextualizes them with the pop culture and current events of the year of release. You can find that at HorrorMovieYearbook.com and at HM Yearbook on Twitter. And thank you once again to Horror Movie Yearbook and the fine folks at Midwest Podcast Network for sponsoring this week's episode. So, um, before we get to our Pan's Labyrinth review, our Pan's Labyrinth, uh, <laughs> pon- anyway, Pan's la- Labyrinth review, uh, we have some business to talk, or news, really, uh, I guess. Bidness. Bidness. Uh, we actually, we are, clo- we are closing in on booking the date for Sharktober Irvington this year. I don't remember what year. Is this the fifth year? Is it? I think it is. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, that's the fifth year. My God. Dang. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Half decade. It right? Right? Yeah. Half decade. <laughs> Freaking unbelievable. And like this June is our fifth anniversary for the podcast too. Oh yeah. It's like God, like half of a decade. Like, can I you know. believe it? It is crazy. God. And we don't, we only have three podcasts now, so <laughs> we need to, I've been, it's funny because, and we'll get to news in a second, but, um, I keep making, uh, jokes to Tony, our friend Tony, uh, from Indiana Geeking, uh, about podcasting. Cause he gives me, he gives me a lot of crap about, uh, my podcasting output. Uh. And so I don't remember if I mentioned this on the last couple episodes, but he, um, Let's see, what was it? He he gave me crap about watching a lot of sitcoms because uh, I've been burning through Cheers quite a bit. Yeah. And it's delightful. Nice. So he said something like, uh, he, said, he said something on Twitter and I said that uh, it's just prep work for my new podcast, uh, The Laugh Track, a <laughs> podcast <laughs> devoted to sitcoms and uh, to situational comedy television. Right. Um, <laughs> it's It's embarrassing to say, but like the next day I was like, you know, I could probably do Oh, my God. <laughs> but I won't. I did come up with an idea. Uh, no, I'm not even going oh to put that out there because I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, uh, especially when I have such poor output for my other <laughs> podcast. But anyway, <laughs> um, and then just recently he uh, – let's see. What was it? Oh, oh, he gave me crap because he saw that I was on Play, uh, PlayStation 4 playing uh, Batman, uh, Arkham City. Mm-hmm. And uh, – and I said, "Oh, it's, it's really—it's just." Or he said that this doesn't look like it's podcast podcast related. 
And I said, it's actually prep work for my new podcast, The, Ca- uh, the Cape and Cowl, a podcast <laughs> devoted to Batman and Gotham City. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Cape and Cowl. Yeah. So my goal is to just give him as much shit as I can <laughs> about starting fake podcasts. Oh, my God. Uh, but if you guys want to hear the laugh track or the Cape and Cowl, let, let me know. We'll have to start a GoFundMe on that. I discourage that. Don't. Just, but I, you got to admit, though, okay, sitcoms. That's a lot of stuff we could get get through. Yeah. And Batman is arguably I would say one of the most iconic and like uh prolific characters. Prolific characters, in, franchises. Yes. Yeah. In across all mediums. Yes. And uh I say that having spent a lot of money the last couple of weeks uh procuring uh, several different uh, Batman comics. You nerd. I know. So anyway, uh, let's get to news. Also, my background for my phone is uh, Batman the Animated Series. Again, you nerd. (laughs) But also fucking A. I know, That's cool. cool. Like, I was uh, really excited because I know that this year they're going to come out with... uh, Batman the Animated Series on Blu-ray. Oh, um, man. A whole new transfer of it, and I would hope have a whole bunch of special features on it and stuff. Nice. Um, it was announced at, I want to say, San Diego Comic-Con last year. Hmm. might have been somewhere else, but um, they announced it, but they said it's going to be later in 2018, and I'm like, like, if it, I, like, I... I I want it now because <laughs> I just started like the last uh, twenty episodes of it and oh wow yeah damn yeah so good stuff um so let's see for news we have uh a, one quick follow up um we got listener feedback about my tornado train um did we script. yes um I believe it was Mike Wins production starred. Right? <laughs> Um, Mike, our, our friend Mike from PopCon and also, um, comic carnival podcast. Check nice. them out. Okay. Yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes and everything. Um, he mentioned that he would like to see that <laughs> happen. Um, and I think either he or Robert said that he would want to see a poster made of it, which I mean, not going to lie. It would be pretty cool to see someone make a poster Yes, hint, it hint, would. Listeners, yeah. If you guys have any graphic design experience, <laughs> make a poster for my movie. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah, that would that would be cool. But anyway, um. Okay, yeah. So anyway, uh, we got some good feedback on that. So I'll I'll start working on the uh, my acceptance speech first of all. Yes, really. of course. Um. Yeah, which brings us. To the real big news item of the of the of this week's episode, uh, the Oscars. The Oscars. They happen, and it's funny because um, they are the Oscars had a um, special relevance to this week's topic of the podcast. In that, Mr. Guillermo del Toro won Best Director and Shape of Water won Best Picture. Sure did. Yes, sure you did. haven't gotten around to watching. Have Shape it. of Water. Okay. I have not. Because I have, and I was just not too fond of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is actually a video of um, of me at at a uh, me on New Year's Eve with a friend being taught how to do this hand gesture that is done in The Shape of Water very drunkenly. Okay. Um, I thought I thought about posting it on Twitter and Facebook, but <laughs> <laughs> I. I, I don't know because it's 
I'm really drunk. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. But anyway, um, what did you think? Did you okay? First of all, did you watch the Oscars from beginning to end? Pretty much, yeah. There was a part there in the middle where I kind of stopped, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. And what did you think of the 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 the, the night? Uh, I was pretty happy with uh, with the night overall. Um, I I mean, I I couldn't even like disagree with a lot of the winners and. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the musical performances were pretty good as well, which I kind of I kind of just glaze over those a lot of the time mm-hmm. when I'm watching the Oscars, but I liked them this year. Um, and I think Jimmy Kimmel did a great job. I liked I liked uh, quite a few of his gags. So yeah, I thought uh, I thought it was a pretty good night overall. Nice. Um, I thought it was uh, pretty good as well. I. It's funny because uh, that night I went to – I actually saw Annihilation in the theater. Oh, okay. And I got dinner and then um, got home right on time, like right as the ceremony was beginning. So I, I missed part of the opening monologue, but um, I did watch you know all of it from beginning to end. Um, also, that was the day that Indiana made it legal for us to buy alcohol Correct. on Sundays. Correct. So, for the first time in like, like since the nineteen or eighteen hundreds, something like that. Yeah, like it's been like we haven't been able to buy alcohol on Sunday. So I actually bought a case of of beer, which tiny. There's some in the fr- fridge if you want some. Okay. Um, and uh, I actually bought it. Like now, the rule is that you can buy it from noon to eight p.m. on Sundays in Indiana and I bought mine at 7:59 p.m. <laughs> and then went home and watched the Oscars. Yeah. Um so yeah, and I I liked the I liked the um the 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 night uh, the ceremony itself. Like I thought that uh, like you I thought Jimmy Kimmel did a did a great job. And I also really liked the how they didn't necessarily downplay but like how they um, downgraded the like kind of running gag of the of the evening. Like each year, there's like a, kind of this running thing that they check on each year, like the pizza selfie thing, the the Neil Patrick Harris like magic trick thing and yeah. stuff. And it's always kind of like okay, Oscars, <laughs> like yeah, okay. But this one was it was pretty it was pretty funny. It was just uh, whoever gave the shortest uh, acceptance speech, basically a Price is Right kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I I got I got a good chuckle out of that. Me too. Yeah. I thought that was yeah, pretty yeah. funny. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, like, as far as the winners and everything, I still need to go back and listen to mine and Fekus's breakdown of the nominees. Because if you listen to that episode, you will know that Fekus and I made a wager that we were, we are going shot for shot in Vegas. So, <laughs> which, like, if he picked a winner in a category, I have to buy him a shot. If I pick the winner... He has to buy me a shot. Okay. If neither of us did, we both have to do a shot. So <laughs> I'm going to be dead when when, when yeah. we get to PopCon after you, Vegas. Yeah, I was going to say, if you get back. Yeah. So um, I leave all of the podcasting to pizza. Um, Thank you. Sitting right here. No, that's fine. It's, it's She just, doesn't even have thumbs. Well, you know, she's very good at I don't know. Anyway. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, as far as the winners and everything for the Oscars... Um, you know, I fine. I, I like I kind of thought that it was just okay. Um Shape of Water winning best picture was kind of a 
kind of a mixed bag for me because I really didn't care for the movie that much. Mm-hmm. Like I just I just couldn't get into it, couldn't really get behind the um emotional like arc of the story, like the romantic subplot of the story. I couldn't really get behind it. Um I really wanted either Ladybird or um uh something else to win, really. Uh Ladybird was probably my front runner for it. Ladybird or Get Out, even though I knew that that was a, a long shot. But um I'm I'm happy for the genre that like I'm I'm happy for genre filmmaking that that Shape of Water won because yeah, totally yeah it's just it says a lot that like it's amazing that you know that type of movie can win Best Picture I yes just, I enjoy that especially when it's in league with with movies that are kind of still feel like they're Oscar bait stuff right right like Darkest Hour The Post um, right other movies <laughs> categories <laughs> yeah um but the one thing the one kind of bone that i want to pick is best adapted screenplay um call me by your name yeah which i just ah oh, i just have such a such a such a bug up my ass about that movie i i don't know why like i just could not i could not connect to it mm. and I feel like it winning best adapted screenplay, like over, um, well, I, I knew that it was a long shot, but Logan would have been amazing to win that. That would have been amazing. But I just feel like the the actual writing, like it's adapted from a novel and the novel is from the perspective of the main character and everything. So obviously from what I understand, the novel gives you really good insight into his motivations and his characterization and his feelings and everything. And I just I didn't get any of that from from the movie from either oh, character. Okay. Like I just I I just I don't know. Maybe I'll revisit it some at some point. But I just I I just really didn't didn't care for the movie. But, okay. Yeah. Any winners stick out to you? Uh, yeah. And most notably the the four acting categories. Um, Frances McDormand I've been a fan of forever. Um, but, and you her know, speech was amazing. Yeah, pretty pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she's won an Oscar before, right? And, and you know she she's been there. But the other three, uh, Gary Oldman, about mm-hmm. fucking time, right? Allison Janney, one of my favorite actresses ever. Yep. So I was super happy for that. I think you'll really like I Tanya. I think I will too. Yeah. Uh, and Sam Rockwell. Yes. Who, no, I wouldn't say about time, but right. I'm glad he's being recognized because still a, oh, a lot yeah. of people still think of Sam Rockwell as that one guy from the green mile or right. that one guy from this movie from mm-hmm. Iron Man two, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, he, he's still a character actor, kind of that guy actor to a lot of people. And now he's finally won an Oscar. And I think that's yeah, just I, awesome. I just love that. We can say Oscar winner. Sam yes, Rockwell. Yes. Plus um, I, I haven't seen, um, the other performances, but I, I did watch three billboards, Oh yeah, and he freaking deserved that Oscar. He was so great. He was really good in it. Really great. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, I tweeted this when when he was giving his speech. Um, but like he said, he said, "I'd like to thank the Academy." And that, like, first of all, like <laughs> it was like the first, if not the was that the first category of the night? I think that was the first or one of the first, like the first major one, because I think they start what out with it? the supporting actors. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. Yeah, but. I like I just remember thinking like man he set the bar really high for acceptance yeah. speeches. 
But when he said, he said, uh, I'd like to thank the Academy. And then he said, I never thought I'd ever say that. I was just like, Sam, <laughs> we've been following you for years. We've known you, knew you, you were, were going to say that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, at some point. Yeah. He's just, he's a phenomenal actor. And I'm so happy to see him, to see him get that recognition. Yeah. And Gary Oldman also, because I mean, mm-hmm. the guy is incredible. Yeah. I mean, um, a lot of people consider him one of the best working actors, and mm-hmm. he had only been nominated once before. Yeah, that's nuts. It's, it is nuts, thinking yeah. of how chameleon-like that man is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then and then Allison Janney and Frances McDormand. I, I, I loved... I I liked I loved Allison Janney and and I Tanya and Francis McDormand and Three Billboards I I liked quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. So. Um did you hear about Francis McDormand's uh 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 um statue? No. Like that night it got stolen. Really? <laughs> yeah. Some guy just fucking stole the statue. Damn. And like it was recovered and everything, but okay. I think I saw I think I saw um a post or something that said like now we're gonna have three billboards on like in LA. <laughs> it's gonna say like stolen stolen Academy Award and no arrests. <laughs> God. Uh but yeah, anyway, so that's that's the Oscars. It was it was a as much as little credence as I give the Oscars for being a legitimate reflection of what movies are like what the quality of movies for the year was mm-hmm. um i still enjoy it as a ceremony and i still enjoy watching it yeah me too um yeah and i wish i could even understand why i think part of it is like i remember um at one point there was just this big montage of like mm-hmm. classics you know yeah and like i like they just built up with this awesome music and mm-hmm. like like after they finished the montage i was like god i just love movies yeah it's it's a celebration of the thing that i we was love. like i just wanted to go watch those movies like right. jaws and citizen mm-hmm. kane and et and all these movies i was yeah. like i just want to go watch all those right now in the music they used was very yeah. very great like they i think they started out with the soundtrack from interstellar which i still uh-huh. think is one of like the best scores I've heard in recent years. Yeah. And then it ended with a piece of music that I was, it was so, so like right on the tip of my tongue as to what it was. And I couldn't figure it out. And then finally, Mike, our former co-host who's on sabbatical, um, he, uh, like he sent me a message and was like, was it love actually? And I'm like, yes, it's, That's the, right, it's yeah. like the end theme of love actually. I'm like, <laughs> man, I need to watch that movie again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's the Super Bowl for for movie fans, right? It is. Um, it is. Yeah, it's just it's great. So I think next year I, I don't know. I think next year we should do an Oscar pool. Okay. I think we probably have said that in the last couple of years. I know that. I, remember, I did one like pre. I remember. I remember. Yeah. Couple years. Yeah. I remember. Like it's just a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Um, yeah. But it's. I think it would be co- kind of cool to do like an Oscar pool for the Facebook group or something. Maybe we could have. Uh... Our, uh, our, uh, one of our patrons and subscribers, Matt Andreco, maybe he could like write us yes. a little program that'll like just make it automatic. That would be awesome. Yeah. And so you don't have to like sit there and do all the math, do all the math and like keep track of everything on paper or something like that. You know? Yeah. All right. Matt, you got your, yeah. you got your assignment. Your homework. <laughs> you have a year. It's, yeah, you got about a year. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I just want for the record to show that Tiny is the one that put him on the spot. Yeah, he doesn't have a wife or child or anything <laughs> no, like no, that. He doesn't have all. a newborn child or right. anything. 
Speaking of newborn children, though, yeah, so happy I got to make that uh, that segue. Yeah. Um. So as we were talking about the Oscars on like the the night of the Oscars, um, Mike and I and and Tiny, did you did you in the Facebook group or in the uh, fuck what was the chat it? the chat or pod chat yeah pod chat yeah yeah you, were you talking in that yeah a little bit okay, here yeah. and there yeah so we were having a conversation about the Oscars mm-hmm. little did we know. <laughs> That like apparently like right after the Oscars, I guess uh Mike's our former co-host is on sabbatical, his wife's water broke. Yeah. So, like during the ceremony, like, wasn't it? Yeah. And they just kinda hung out and like watched the rest I of the Oscars, so, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, and so yeah, they went to the hospital and uh young uh Howie was born. Yep. Yep. And their firstborn so. is named Oscar. Yeah, exactly. So, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, hilarious yeah i just i got the i got i i have this thought in my head that it, it's likely that um how it was just like oh well you know these guys are talking a lot about oscar yeah. <laughs> i should just kind of come out and and you know it's like i'm losing ground here yeah <laughs> um but yeah very very big congrats to to mike and uh and his wife Amanda, and mm-hmm. they're now two sons. Congrats! And he's never coming back to the podcast. No, probably not. Full time, yeah. <laughs> um, I do have kind of a, um, a grudge for him because oh. he now has two sons. His name is Mike White. He did not name either one of them Walter. I know, and that's drop the ball. Yeah, drop the ball. Yeah, yeah. The ball of meth. Right. That's. Yeah. Anyway, it's not a thing. congrats. Uh, <laughs> you know, share your congrats to him that at I am Mike White on Twitter. Yeesh. So anyway, um, that is all of the news that we have, and uh, yeah, should we go right into our review of Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro? El Labyrinth del Fauno. Si. Oh my god. Okay. That's the original title. Oh, gotcha. I love sure. how it just rolls off the tongue. I, yeah. You know, the whole time I was watching, I was like, the, and anytime I watch like a Spanish language movie mm-hmm. or show or anything, I'm like, that is just such a beautiful freaking language. It really is. It's, uh Especially when Pan is mm-hmm. like speaking with that like deep gravelly voice, like, no mas preguntas. Like yes. it's just so, yeah. Oh awesome. yeah. Love it. Anyway, so yep. we're getting into premature. Right. <laughs> right. So let's start off by talking about our relationship with Guillermo del Toro and his work. Uh, Tiny, how, what, where do you land on Mr. del Toro's body of work? Um, I've, I've been a fan um, for quite a while, even going back to like um, Hellboy and, and stuff like that. Um, I, I'm a fan because of his integrity as a as a director and as a storyteller i think he he takes these like very um classic structures for stories like um there'll be like big fantasies or like these love stories or um i, I don't want to use the word standard but it's kind of stuff where it's like you know it's it's like a standard play on a on a classic romeo and juliet story or you know it's like a it's kind of a something you're familiar with, but he puts his he he has such a unique visual style, and he always puts these fun little twists or little um his own interpretation uh of these classic stories um like the shape of water is kind of a 
sort of like a classic monster story meshed in with a classic love story mm-hmm. and kind of, a, I think there's, I haven't seen it, but I think there's kind of like a good versus evil kind of element going mm-hmm. on there as well. Um, so there's like a movie like that is a great example. And then Pan's Labyrinth has this, this kind of like his, this like really beautiful and just fun, I guess fun fairy tale. Mm-hmm meshed with a a dark moment in in history of a certain country and it's mm-hmm. just like it's just, who would think to do that who would think to put those two things together or yeah. mesh those really interesting ideas together you know I, just, I i love the way that that he that he makes things his own and and he does so with I guess I would call it like visual integrity. That's kind of, that's not really the way to say it, but he does so with visual dedication. I'll put it that way. Um, he likes to use practical effects, which I think is so much fun this day and age. Um, I just, it's just, it's, it's really refreshing to see him like, who's, what's the guy in the suit going to look like this time? You know, it's, it's almost like a classic, it's almost like the same sentiment as like a classic B monster movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, ooh, what's the monster going to look like? Or, you know, who's the guy in the suit? You know, he's uh, for like Pain's Labyrinth. It's like, you know, the um, Doug Jones is the actor's name. He uses mm-hmm. him in like every one, every single one of his movies. Yeah. And he's always playing a guy in a suit. Right. And so he <laughs> he played Pan and then like the kind of pale monster in this uh, in this movie. And it's just like, oh, man, what's he going to look like this time? Yeah. Um, it's it's really great. So Indiana I, native. That's right. He uh, he oh. went to Ball State, Ball State grad. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I really enjoy the way he tells a story, plain and simple. You know, and <sighs> the way you describe that, describe your feelings toward him and like the passion that you employed in that is, uh, is admirable. Like, I, I wish that I had that same connection and like I recognize your points. Like, I rec- like, I agree that it is, it is kind of majestic the way that he is able to, conceive a story and 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 see through uh, see it through to the end of the production process with a very unique Guillermo del Toro flair and like his his um his utilization of practical effects and everything is is really incredible like there's some moments in Pan's Labyrinth where I'm like I'm I was shocked like I was like I'm kind of squeamish and a little bit about violence, but like mm-hmm. I was not expecting it to be so um, graphic. Like it's not like anything. It's not like um, it, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not like gratuitous or anything. It's right. just it's just existing there. Like there are moments where um, and we're diving into the review a little bit, but mm-hmm. there are moments where like there are flashes of violence in his movies that um, are like practical effects of like like something like a knife going through a body part right that exists on film for like three frames and then it's done and i'm thinking like they he just utilized like like this effect like he did this effect for a very 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 small amount of time mm-hmm. on screen and like it's still going to stick with me for the rest of the movie right um it's just really um astonishing what he accomplishes and and what he chooses to accomplish in terms of filmmaking and everything Having said that, though, <laughs> um, I really wasn't a fan. Of, like I talked about, I wasn't a fan of Shape of Water. Um, I really did not like Pacific Rim. And we reviewed it in the early, early days of the podcast. I don't recommend anyone listen to it because 
<laughs> that was uh, at least for me. I was I was. We were in a different place. We were. We were. It's five um, years ago. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah. So it and uh, like I just remember at the time I just wasn't wasn't crazy about Pacific Rim. It felt like the story was a little a little lax. Like that I didn't. I one of the kind of things that I've noticed with Del Toro's work is that I granted I haven't seen a lot of it, but I can't really seem to connect on an emotional level the way that the story wants me to or expects me to. Okay. And that's the same with Pacific Rim and The Shape of Water. So that's kind of a kind of a bummer. But I haven't seen and I need to see uh Hellboy and um there was oh Crimson Peak I still wanna I still want to see even though yeah, they're me too. I need to see it. Yeah. Um did you ever see Kronos? No, but I've heard it's great. Okay. So have I. That's his first feature. Right. Um yeah, I I really want to see that. And I really dig the original Hellboy. Oh yeah, good movie. And the second one, I think, is a little underrated too. Oh really? Um, the villains kind of, yeah. but um, yeah. I Ron Perlman's work is Ron Perlman mm-hmm. is perfect for Hellboy. Nice. Just perfect. So yeah, I I recommend checking out at least the first one. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, kind of diving into the review a little bit. Um, Pan's Labyrinth is going to make me kind of want to go back and watch some more. Totally. Um, Del Toro's of Del Toro, Del Toro's work. Um, having said that, let's go into our review of Pan's Labyrinth from 2006. Okay. Tiny, would you like to read the plot description courtesy of IMDb? I'd love to. In the Falanges, Spain of 1944, the bookish young stepdaughter of a sadistic army officer escapes into an eerie but captivating fantasy world. Nice. Well done. I, the only reason why I asked you to do it is I did not want to try to pronounce phalangist. Phalangist, yeah. Phalangist. It sounds like it's a finger country. Yeah. Phalanges. I, Get your mind out of the gutter. No, I'm, I wasn't in there. I was actually thinking... Matthew of, William. I was, I, was actually, I was actually thinking of Regina Phalange from uh, Friends. <laughs> <laughs> of course you were, you dork. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Sitcom over here. Right. <laughs> Check out the Laugh Track podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Coming soon to a podcast near you. Yeah, ObsessiveViewer.com presents the Laugh Track. <laughs> um, Jesus. Anyway, so yeah, Pan's Labyrinth. Um, I watched it on Voodoo. I rented it, which is uh, a great way to rent and watch movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tiny, how did you watch it? I watched it on the Amazon nice amazon yeah uh my tv has an amazon button i love it nice go straight to it it's nice so yeah that was and it was uh the most affordable i think okay cool um yeah we'll have to have a longer conversation maybe next time when we do extended potpourri we'll talk about digital and and renting in 2018 and stuff i feel like we have that conversation like once a month pretty much yeah but it changes every Um, month yeah like i had a i had a fun experience today but we're in the review now so let's not yeah let's not muddy that review here so this one's for robert um (laughs) we will stay on track from now on i promise yeah so anyway um yeah pan's labyrinth i will go into kind of broad broad discussion about it okay non-spoiler first so I went into this movie like the second that I started it, um, the first two minutes of it, I realized I had literally no idea what I was going into. Um, <laughs> it was one of those experiences where I, I've i heard the name Pan's Labyrinth. I'm aware that it's Guillermo del Toro. I'm aware that it's like I'm aware of his visual style in movies, but 
that is the extent of what I knew about the plot of this movie going into it. Yeah. And it's such an interesting and, and fun way to go into a movie. And like you, you kind of uh, mentioned when you were talking about del Toro in general, the way that he is able to kind of marry two um, very different plot threads and themes and thematic elements and tones together is very interesting. Like you said, this is a kind of a fairy tale with a civil war, like, uh, almost like a t- p- t- time period, like a, um, yeah, period like piece. a period piece. Yeah. Yeah. A wartime period piece, uh, movie. And like, it fits really well together. Yeah. Um, there were some moments where I felt a little bit, not as engaged with it as I would have wanted to be. Um, this is far and away of the three Del Toro movies. This is my favorite that I've seen okay. over Pacific Rim and Shape of Water easily. Um, and I I like the way that it married those two those two elements into one kind of cohesive thing. But kind of uh, I found throughout. Uh, about the middle of the movie, I kind of found myself a little, a little bit disconnected because of that. Um, mm. Like, cause I, I didn't understand what uh, Ophelia's um, arc, like how that would inevitably relate to the captain and, and, and the mother uh, or captain in the, uh, what would you categorize her as the housemaid? Um, yeah. Yeah. The housekeeper, yeah, housemaid, housekeeper, yeah. Um, I didn't know how they were going to intersect or anything or if they were going to intersect. And one of the things that I find so that I struggle with, with del Toro's movies is that he has such inspired and incredible ideas like on screen. Like there are elements in this movie that I've never seen before in another movie. And it's that's kind of consistent with every single thing that I've seen from him is that he has this, he's got this, he's got this kind of genius mind yeah. <laughs> to create this, these really visually stunning in visually incredibly unique things. Um, like there's, there's a monster. There's a, there's a thing that uh, like with, I don't want to spoil it in non-spoilers, but like it involves eyeballs. Yeah. And like, I think I'd seen artwork about that, mm-hmm. um, just in my travels, like at conventions and stuff, but I didn't remember it until I saw how the eyeballs were implemented into it. And I yeah. was like, that's, I mean, that's just genius. Like and it's that's freaky. Like who thinks of that? Yeah. It's so freaky and it subverts what you expect from, from it when you're introduced to the, to the to the character to that plot thread, mm-hmm. um, it's just that was such an amazing moment for me because I was just like, I, I didn't expect it, I didn't know what what I was in for, and I was mm-hmm. just really uh, really pleasantly surprised by that. But then in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm really liking this whole story of Ophelia going, and she's in this la- uh, labyrinth, and she has these tasks that she has to do, and I I was really interested in that, but it just also felt like there wasn't necessarily a sense of urgency or purpose for that plot thread. Like in that scene, and I'll talk more about that in spoilers, that scene in particular, when she makes a choice in that scene that causes some dramatic things to happen, 
And all I thought was, I, I have no idea why she chose to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there wasn't any, like I couldn't get a read on what her motivation was for that. Aside from the fact that maybe she's just a dumb kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if there was some kind of thematic element to it. I don't know if that was like a, supposed to be a metaphor for something. Cause it just felt like she's explicitly told not to do something. And then she does it. And it's just like, of course there are going to be consequences. Like yeah. that's yeah. what happens. Um, so that, that was one like minor nitpick and that is absolutely a nitpick. I don't mean to like that didn't detract from the movie itself overall, but mm. it kind of is a good, um, kind of a description of, of why I kind of felt a little bit disengaged with that element of the story. Okay. Um, and then as far as the actual like war period piece war thing, I was kind of really into it for a, a very large portion of the movie. Like there, the whole movie, <laughs> which I should say, mm-hmm. um, there's a scene with a captain and some farmers, um, or hunters involving rabbits Yeah, that I like that scene alone is, like probably my probably my favorite scene of the movie. Wow, okay. Um yeah, just because I love the storytelling of that scene. I love how what it informs about the captain and just what like how it evolves that character and and really sets the stage for um the the dynamic. But I've been talking a lot. Tiny <laughs> broad terms, what did you think of Pan's Labyrinth? Yeah, um, it is. It is also my my favorite Guillermo del Toro movie. Nice. Um, easily, uh, I I I had only seen this once. I don't know why, but I as I was watching it, I was like, I should probably have this movie on Blu-ray because it's just <laughs> it's just a gorgeous movie, and um, it's a period piece mixed with fantasy that should be in my catalog, but uh, mm. it's not. Um, I I really like the movie a lot, and I remember liking it when I first saw it. Mm. I just hadn't taken the time to revisit it for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I just I I just keep coming back to the the kind of juxtaposition or the melding of the mm-hmm. kind of the time the period piece with a a fantasy and 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 I I love the way that the 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 fantasy or the fairy tale is kind of kind of ambiguous like is is she actually a princess from like another another dimension or whatever it is from another world and her soul is just trapped here on earth like is that real or is she she hallucinating the whole time like what's right. the and it's i just i kind of like that that ambiguity and it's like mm-hmm. you're kind of trying to figure it out and then you kind of at least i kind of come to the conclusion that it doesn't necessarily matter it's a right. really beautiful story either way mm-hmm. um and you just talked about kind of your favorite part and my favorite part is the the uh the climax the the climax of the mm-hmm. story i just think i love the way like you talked about earlier, the convergence of the two kind of storylines yeah. coming together and how, you know, it, it wasn't just this girl playing pretend with the backdrop of the phalangist Spain or whatever right. it is, this this military kind of conflict or mm-hmm. uh, social conflict that's going on. Um, the, that conflict was actually relevant to her story. Mm-hmm. And like that's the way her, her new infant brother plays into it and all that stuff. It's just really, it was just really incredible how those two stories came together. And that, that climax was incredibly tense and just, it's so fascinating to see this like really harsh reality of, you know, 
government control or totalitarianism and this it's it's stark and 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 harsh it's a harsh reality come into full blows with this full-on fantasy and like fairy tale that's like these two things don't belong together but they come together in such an amazing way um i thought that was just like you said Guillermo del Toro has an incredible mind to bring those two things together that way. So mm-hmm. I just, man, I just loved it. Um, I also think the performances are really kind of, really kind of um, skimmed over by a lot of the people who see the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason is because there's not any big stars in it, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, even to this day, none of, the, none of the actors, as far as I know, are like big stars or anything. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of refreshing, but I think they all did a fantastic job. Uh, yeah, the, me too. the captain and the mother, um, the housemaid, I think, was one of the standouts. I thought she was a uh, very dramatic performance. Um, and of course, you know, it's I don't remember how old uh, the actress who plays Ophelia was, but she could have been much older than eight or nine, maybe ten. Yeah. She was um, she was incredible. She was. You know, that's to to put a child into that story, that's just difficult to get a performance out of a child that young in a story like this. Uh, right. and, and she was great. So um and I just I I just think it's a really cool story. Again, how she has to, you know, complete these tasks and mm-hmm. um I, I I kind of wish one of the I think almost shortcomings of the story is i feel like i feel like um this the, the the fairy tale of the princess whose soul traveled to another world and is kind of trapped here on terrestrial earth or whatever mm-hmm. um i feel like that was like a story that she learned from her biological father or like her actual father oh interesting and like she's kind of reliving it um in mm-hmm. amongst the turmoil and trauma of trying to like adjust to a new stepfather. Right. And so it's like she's trying to cling, cling to and dive into these stories that her father told her. That's kind of what I got, or that's kind of an angle it could have taken maybe. Mm -hmm. And it didn't really have much of that in the movie. Um, like there's kind of this narration of that story throughout it by this, like an empty male voice kind of, and it's, it's great and I like it, but I feel like, it almost should have been revealed that that was her father telling her the story or something that like that. That would have been interesting. Yeah, I feel like that would have been really good. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe that's almost like something he was going for, but yeah. uh, maybe but running time kind of got in the way of that yeah. or something. Because it, it's a two-hour movie. Right. I don't think it feels like a two-hour movie at all. It it didn't. It, it didn't for me. Um, okay. Yeah, I had some distractions and stuff I uh, okay during it, but but yeah, it it didn't feel that long to me. Okay. I thought it felt like a tight 90 minute movie, but it's, it's two hours long. Nice. Um, yeah, I real I really dig the movie and I'm, I'm glad it won the Oscars that it did. And really, I think it really elevated Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. uh, in, in it, a great way. What did it win at the Oscars? It won a couple Oscars, I think for, uh, makeup. Um, yeah. I don't recall what else it went, won for, uh, oh cinematography. Oh, very well deserved. Yeah, art direction and makeup. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Nice. I uh, see I didn't know that. Yep. Um yeah, and I also kind of want to touch on the <clears throat> visual aspects of it. Um mm-hmm. yeah. Uh you mentioned that you you knew within what like while watching it that it needed to be in uh your collection and everything. Yeah. It's funny because I um 
watch this today at home, like on Voodoo, I rented it. I rented the HD version of it, and I watched it at home on on my forty six inch. 1080p TV, mm-hmm. but I had like it, the option of watching it earlier in the day. Um, cause I, I took the day off of work and I got some, my car worked on a little bit. Mm-hmm. So like I was at the mechanic and he's like, Oh, it's going to be probably about two, three hours. And I'm like, all right, well, I got nothing better to do. So I'm going to hang out here. So I had my phone and I had my charger with me. So I was like, I'm going to watch a movie. And I was like, I could have watched Pan's Labyrinth, but I'm so happy I didn't because yeah. Like the visual aspect of it would not have impacted me watching it on a freaking phone mm-hmm. versus watching it at home um, on a decent decent sized television. Right. Um, so I'm very relieved and thankful that I made that choice. Uh, good job, me. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it is it is just a visually just beautiful movie. Um, the the labyrinth itself, the 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 different. Um, locations that that Ophelia finds herself in are just really kind of jaw-dropping like we mentioned the scene with um the creature um yeah that it's just it is it is kind of astonishing um just the the level of detail in it and everything and the kind of fantasy element of it like seeing that in this period setting of a conventional like war war setting um is just really remarkable and and it kind of sets this visual context into your head that it's it sticks with you because you're seeing these dual these dual tones and these these dual like uh, settings kind of play out concurrent to each other themes kind of themes yeah. yeah like these very different styles um and I really appreciate the movie for that um when we're first introduced to so is the character's name Pan? The yeah, he's like a god, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Is it the is it the guide? The or is that Fawn? Because in the subtitles it said Fawn. That's the Spanish word for Pan. Is it really? Yeah. See, I didn't know. Fawn, though. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sure. Um, I I think so because the title of the movie is El Labyrinto del Fauno. Oh, okay. Which is the labyrinth of Pan, as far as I know. Nice. Okay. See, I had yeah. I. Yeah, that just uh, kind of blew my mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. I did have this one quick tweet, and I'll go back to my point here. <laughs> um, after I watched it, I said, yeah, uh, spoiler alert, Pan's Labyrinth has nothing to do with Neverland or David <laughs> Bowie. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I'm actually kind of proud of that tweet. <laughs> I'm very happy that I got that response from you. Nice. Um, but yeah, it... Uh, but yeah, that point when we see, when we were first introduced to to Pan and to um, the kind of fantasy setting and everything, I kind of had to pause it for a second because I was sitting there thinking like it would have been incredible to see Guillermo del Toro do a Harry Potter movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like I actually remembered reading something, so I googled it, and turns out that he was up for doing a Prisoner of Azkaban, mm. um, but he turned it down because I believe that I, the article I read said that it was because he loves he loved the books, he he loves the Harry Potter books, mm-hmm. but he viewed the decision to take that job um, against the first two movies. And he felt like his his visual style, like his his style of filmmaking, would not have 
meshed well with the kind of happy tones of the first two movies. Oh, okay. Which I can respect him for that, but right. man, if he could have gotten his hands on one of the later movies, absolutely. it would have been incredible. And then it got I, a lot darker and absolutely. Yeah. And uh like I would love to see what he would do with Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Um oh God, Well, I mean Azkaban, the the Dementors. Right. His yeah. version of a Dementor would be pretty cool, I'm yeah. sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that was the worst thing about prison was the Dementors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh god hashtag prison mike anyway yeah uh laugh tracks it comes anyway um <laughs> so anyway uh and then i when i tweeted that uh patreon subscriber robert uh tweeted at me and said or what uh, he could have done with the hobbit movies uh, and in that moment i had completely forgotten that he had sunk years of his life into pre-production for for the hobbit movies and man that would have been so interesting it would have Oh. He was also slated to direct the Silent Hill movie for a long time. Oh, yeah? Which, that would have fucked everybody up. Right. Because, I, did, you ever play the, did you ever play that game? Much? I did, I did. Yeah. The game bit. was scary as shit, and right. it had all these crazy creatures in it. <laughs> to see him go nuts with that, man, that would have been something else, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, the Silent Hill movie they made was kind of creepy. Was it? So I never saw it. Wasn't it? Wasn't. Did it great. have Sean Bean? Scene Bean and Scene uh, Rada Mitchell <laughs> were in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Red Ha Mitchell. Red Hot Mitchell. Yes. Yeah. Rada Mitchell. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And it's. Cause okay. Yeah. I'm. I'm coming around. Like I'm gonna revisit uh, Pacific Rim, and I'm probably gonna watch a lot more of of Del Toro's work. Mm-hmm. But it's so. Um, I don't know if I'd say the word tragic. I don't know if I would say the word disappointing, but it is kind of a bummer that a lot of the conversation around Guillermo del Toro is, um, as Robert pointed out on Twitter to me, is that there's so much conversation around the projects that he was going to do or could do or, or was slated to do, but just hasn't like, couldn't get it green lit or anything. Right. Um, so in my conversation with Robert on Twitter, like, I mean, uh, we would hope that the Oscars would, uh, would get him, give him kind of free reign to yeah. pick his next projects. Um, hopefully. Yeah. He has been working on and wanting to do, um, in the mountains of madness, hmm. which is based on an HP Lovecraft, uh, oh, novel, yeah. I believe, okay. Yeah. It's which <laughs> to a good, that's a good match. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like that seems like it's the kind of movie that he's destined to make. I haven't read a lot of Lovecraft, but f- from what I know mm-hmm. about it, same that, here. That sounds, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Wow. Um, yeah. So should we go into our spoilers? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Um, yeah. So, uh, we're going to go into spoilers for Pan's Labyrinth. And, uh, yeah, I'll play some music here to transition us over. So once the music ends, we are going to go spoilers-free for Pan's Labyrinth. Well, the idea, it's, a, it's sort of a sister movie to another movie I made called Devil's Backbone, which was already uh, set in the Civil War in Spain, and it dealt with brutality and innocence. And I think this movie deals with the same two issues, mm-hmm. is what happens to children in war. You know, in this case, it's, uh, it's after the war, but there is repression in the mm-hmm. rebels in the mountains and so forth. So thinking about it, I thought it would be a movie where you could create a fantasy world that was as, as real and sometimes as scary or as uh, dangerous as the real world. Okay, and we are spoilers on for Pan's Labyrinth. Yep. Uh, yes. Well, right off the bat, yes. you're the the scene you were talking about earlier where... 
you weren't sure what her motivation was. <laughs> yeah, okay, with the grapes. She or... eats the grapes, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's because she, her punishment was she got sent to bed without dinner. Oh! So she's, like, super fucking hungry. And, okay. That... Yeah. Okay, oh, I... Sure. Yeah. Okay. That that's fair. Because I kept thinking, uh, wow, I didn't connect. Like, how that. stupid are you? Just don't eat the food. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, you know, the dude told her not to, and then right. it's even in the book. Like, and the fairies are like, no, no, stop. yeah, yeah. And then I felt like I was like, uh, like they get eaten because of her. Yeah. I'm like, well, I mean, you know, through the through the mind of a child, also she's like, she sees this guy there, and it's like he doesn't have any eyes. How's he gonna right. know that I eat the food? Yeah. So that's fair. Okay, I hadn't thought about the the dinner thing. Yeah. So still so a bit of a fair. stretch, but yeah, I get a, what you're saying. A little bit, but yeah, I'll I'll kind of rescind my critique of that then because okay. that now that retroactively that makes more sense to me. Yeah. Um. But let's talk about that freaking eyeball thing. Yeah. That was so freaking cool and it creepy. Is. And just why, what kind of mind comes up with that? I know, right? It's freaky. It's like some, it's like next level kind of art or like, yeah. um, like HR Giger, like right. that kind of stuff. Like, oh yeah. How does that come out of your mind? How do you put that on? Yeah. Yeah. It's just incredible. Like, <laughs> Like also, and granted, not familiar with the work, but Lovecraftian. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, just really, really clever. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about my favorite scene, the 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 hunters with the rabbits? It does set a really important tone. I think mm-hmm. um, the ruthlessness and like the the whole the kind of like the lack of mercy. Yeah, from the captain. Um, mm-hmm. It does set a good tone, and uh, and yeah, I think the. Um, that kind of segues into, or it's kind of another, a big part of that scene is the violence Yeah, that you mentioned earlier on. And I didn't really, I forgot to kind of mention it, but I love the, I love the use of violence in the movie because it's, it's kind of like hyper real Mm -hmm. or like, um, it's not, it's not like superficial violence Mm -hmm. or like violence for the sake of shock. It's not like Hollywood violence where they cut away and let your mind fill in the blanks. It's like yes, the camera stays on it. Like when he's like, like uh, what, what was he doing? Like he's, he's like pummel. He's like pummeling the guy's head with a wine bottle. Yeah, with the wine bottle. Yeah, like and it just stays on it. And like you yeah. see it, and it's just like you see his face like collapsing. Yeah, and it's it's like you could look at that and be like, okay, well that's kind of weird. That that looks kind of weird, but it's also like. That's probably kind of close to what it would probably look like. Kind of realistic, yeah. Yeah, and it's like it's so not Hollywoodized or it's not glamorized or anything that it's just like you said it's a kind of a raw kind of visual right. A, a visual depiction of it that it's like it kind of looks goofy because your brain doesn't like at least from my perspective because your brain doesn't know how to process it right um because it just looks like you said hyper real and very very true to life yeah it wasn't hollywood violence and like when he gets when he gets shot at the end Mm -hmm. that part where his eye kind of just starts rolling freely i was like oh damn that's a crazy yes and like the crazy details like underneath yeah like very faintly um, also the knife in the, in the, in the, in the in cheek. The cheek. Like, oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. Just relentless. Yeah. Um, and, and I love, I love that depiction of the captain as just this ruthless, like murderer, um, mm-hmm. and very sadistic because in like the reason why I love that scene is just 
in terms of writing, that scene is just really beautiful. Yeah. Um, because they're very adamant about, you know, they're hunting rabbits and then he kills the son and then kills the father. And then like, just as, as an aside, like kind of like the, the end of the scene is the, the captain takes the rabbits out of the, out of the bag. And he's just like, you know, maybe, maybe search people a little more clearly before you bother me. Right. <laughs> it's like, you just murdered two people. Yeah. Um, and then they eat the rabbits. Later yeah. For dinner. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I, I, I kind of, that's the kind of like storytelling that I, I really appreciate in, in Del Toro's work that sadly I just couldn't connect to on like Pacific Rim and, the shape of water. Like it didn't have that connectedness to yeah. for me. Um, but now that I am gaining more appreciation for his work, maybe I, maybe I can, uh, have a renewed appreciation for, for those movies. Right. But, um, I, but yeah, I also kind of um, wanted to talk about the, the kind of, I, I addressed the kind of the ambiguity of the, the fairy mm-hmm. tale. Um, yeah. Did, did you, I'm curious if you kind of saw it that way. Cause I feel like there's clearly a point where in the climax where she's in the center of the labyrinth mm-hmm. and she has her infant brother and she's having a conversation with pan and the captain walks up and she's literally talking to nothing. Yeah. So is she, um. was she hallucinating the whole time? Was it just that only something she could see because she's the actual princess? Like, that's her, and so only she can see because she's the only being from that world or whatever. Like, is it actually when she dies? Does she go to that world? Does her soul return to that world? I'm curious. I don't know. I, I mean, I, was it a near death hallucination? I don't know. I really love how ambiguous the movie is about that, right? Because it's not <laughs> like a, it's not like an ending where it's like very clear like you're it's not an ending where it's very clear that you're supposed to read into it as as one way or the other right it's just it's depicted in a way that it's like if you want to follow those breadcrumbs to where you can say that okay well maybe this whole fantasy of being a princess and everything is just this coping mechanism for her right. dealing with a sadistic stepfather um and and just really uh um new and and scary living situation and everything like you can absolutely read that into the movie Mm -hmm. but if you also want to be like oh hey she's this princess uh let's let's roll with that like you can also go that route as well right um one thing that i did and i'll we'll kind of circle back to that Mm -hmm. i i didn't I wouldn't say that I didn't understand the whole idea of her being a princess and everything, but it kind of felt like it. <laughs> I kind of at the start thought that is, is she like the princess of hell? Um, <laughs> like I legitimately thought that it was like, that she was like, I thought that pan was leading her into doing this, like doing these tasks so that like hell could rise up and, and oh. destroy everything. Like, right. I had a completely different read on the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to like, I mean, he did want to sacrifice an infant. So. Right. But like, I, the reason that I read it that way or the reason why I was thinking that way was because like pan like references it as like, she's the princess of the underworld. And there's a reference to, um, going through seven, he says like seven circles and that made right. me think of like the seven circles of hell. Right. And like, I thought like, is that like it, what, what's going on here? Like, is yeah. this, is this like a secret, like horror movie that I'm watching? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, kind of looking back on it without that kind of baggage. Um, 
I, I can appreciate the, the journey for that character and, and going through those, those trials and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like the depiction of Pan. Like, I think it was a cool character. Oh, so cool. Yeah. So well done. If you look at some of the classic, I don't know a lot about it. I think Pan is a Greek god, I want to say. I don't know. But if you look back at like some of the artist depictions of what he looks mm-hmm. like, he's like half goat like on the bottom, and he mm-hmm. has like goat's horns. Kind of Beelzebub-ish. Kind okay. of a little bit, which is a little, yeah, a little weird, um, sure. or a little questionable. But, um, anyways, like he's not that he's plain looking in a lot of the depictions I've seen, but he just kind of looks like a, uh, just not as interesting, not as interesting and cool, right, as he does in this movie, right. Put it that way, right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I didn't, I don't know if I've kind of formulated a, a theory on on what was like really going on or, or what the, what my takeaway of the ending was. Um, but it's the kind of movie that it's going to leave me kind of a lot to think about. I like how it bookends with like her death. Right. Um, and like that can really make you think like, okay, well maybe this is just a, like you said, near death, like last brain firing mechanisms of, of telling the story. Right. Right. Since she is so fond of stories and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just like that the movie leaves you with a lot of questions that you can like kind of ruminate on in a way that's not that doesn't detract from the story or anything. Right. Um and it may, it's something you want to discuss with someone else too. It's Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um and I feel like you don't have to pick like you you don't have to decide no. whether or not she was just a hallucination the whole time or if it, she actually is, you know, this whole fairy tale is a true thing. You don't have to decide. It can it right. can be either one or it can be both. Like, you know, it can mm-hmm. be it can be what you want it to be. Yeah. Where do you fall on it? Like, what's your official? I kind of go with the more happy fairy tale version that she actually mm-hmm. was. You know, the soul of the princess actually was trapped inside Ophelia, and mm-hmm. she really was a princess, and she actually did go back to her kingdom upon her death in the mortal coil, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just because that's a beautiful story. It really it's is an incredible story. Oh yeah. Um, I am more cynical. Are you? Okay. <laughs> now that I'm thinking more about it, I, I probably, it would depend on my mood, but I would think now, like, I would be thinking, like, well, I kind of like the, the tragedy of the idea of just this, this, the entire movie being about this girl that's using this, um, that's creating this, this fairy tale for herself to cope with living in this, this terrible environment or yeah. cope with, this vastly changed environment that she finds herself in. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that you can, that can fit both. You can, you can fit that both. <laughs> and both stories are both, very good both, stories. Yeah. They both fit really well. Right. Um, to kind of circle back and talk about the captain though, and his brutal nature. Um, what I love, what I also loved about that scene that we referenced about the rabbits and everything is that that's the introduction to his ruthless nature. And that's the introduction to how merciless, he is and how just sociopathic he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that that's not it. Like, it's not just like a, okay, now we see how he is. Now you know how to feel about him whenever he's on screen. It's like, that is a depiction that's sustained throughout the movie. Right. Um, like he murders the, the doctor and, uh, um, oh, torture God. scene to, yeah, the torture scene. Yeah. Brutal mm-hmm. and, uh, disturbing. And, uh, I love his comeuppance at the end. Yeah. Uh, freaking brutal. Like, like, I mean, he kills Ophelia, but then 
Um, the housekeeper lady, I didn't catch her name, but she Mercedes. Mercedes, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mercedes. Um, she, I, I love, I like, oh my god, that line at the end where she's like, yes. uh, where he's like, tell my son that uh, like what time I died, and then she's like, he'll never know your name. Yeah, like freaking brutal. Absolutely. In like, so like. Oh, I, I love, like, that's such a powerful scene mm-hmm. um, and such a powerful line that is so deserving toward that character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I thought that that was, I mean, that might be, like, my favorite. Like, the rabbit scene might be my favorite constructed scene and, and favorite written scene, but I think that scene right there, that line that she says is, like, my favorite piece of dialogue from the entire movie. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic line. Oh, yeah. Um, anything else that we need to cover on it? Um, gosh, I feel like there's so much you can say about it. And yeah. there's just so many things about, mm-hmm. well, what did you think of the depiction of the, the kind of skirmishes or the, the post war, um, freedom fighter kind of things like the kind of the, the mm-hmm. war sequences. Yeah. Sequences. Um, they were also pretty pretty stark and pretty brutal as well um mm-hmm. i think it those scenes kind of just added to the whole um the whole package of reality i guess mm-hmm. that that's trying to be presented the the cruelty of the world that ophelia lives in or that the princess her soul is occupying it's a very dark time and that mm-hmm. just kind of added to it cuz it's all very most of it isn't that uh, it's not very glorious like right. war tends like war movies tend to be sometimes mm-hmm. it's not about the glory it's about the brutality of it and how yeah. it's the the old adage that war is hell you know mm-hmm. it, it really is and and this movie kind of uh adds to that and uh i, I appreciate again i appreciate it you know it, it just added to the the vastness of the juxtaposition of the two sides of the stories or the two stories coming together. Um, Mm -hmm. so I liked him for that reason. Um, but also just the other, um, the other fantasy elements, like the, the whole Mandrake root thing. Yeah. Um, I thought was like, it's kind of creepy that it essentially comes alive and stuff like that. Um, but it was also, um, I just kind of appreciated it from like a, uh, old wives tale kind of standpoint mm-hmm. like you know uh, if you you know 500 years ago before modern medicine they didn't they didn't know anything and so right. it's like uh, if you stand on one foot and clap your hands above your head you'll induce your labor or something mm-hmm. like that you know what i mean it's like right. or it's like you know if you plant this seed and two two weeks later on a full moon you pull it up and eat the root it'll cure your arthritis right random <laughs> shit like that yeah. it felt like something like that like you put a mandrake root in fresh milk and put two, two drops of blood in there and it'll yeah. you know it's just put like it under the bed and put it under the bed yeah. right it's it's just a. I I find those obviously it's horse shit right but i find it entertaining or it's mm-hmm. like it's you can almost sit there and be like I I think I understood how they got there like it's right. kind of it's it's, it's horseshit it doesn't it's yeah. not true it's just mm-hmm. an old wives tale but it's kind of fun you know yeah. what I'm saying it's I don't know <laughs> I was gonna make a joke I don't want people to think that I think this but it's like you know yeah it's like like vaccines yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice that's her no no I. Snip that in the bud right yep, now. <laughs> yep, not not an anti-vaxxer, I promise. Right. Anyway, um, and also like seeing that go like into the fire and everything. Like in that moment again, I was like, 
Harry Potter. If he would have done a Harry Potter yeah. movie, man, totally. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think that will just about do it for this review. Then I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, Robert. I hope we did the movie justice, and uh, thank you for selecting it for us, and thank you for paying us. Yeah. Also, I rated it. By the way, I rated it four out of five stars. Nice. I did three point five. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, what's what's your next Guillermo del Toro movie that you're gonna want to watch? I think I'm gonna try to track down Kronos somehow. Nice. I want to nice. see that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, that might be next for me too. I might also circle back and watch Pacific Rim again. Okay. Um. Yeah. Again, I recommend Hellboy. Nice, nice, cool movie. All right, cool. Well, that is our review of Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, thank you once again to Robert, our Patreon subscriber, who uh, paid us to review it for him, <laughs> and uh, we hope that uh, we did the movie justice, and we hope that you got your money's worth. Yeah. Um, if you, and that means you listening, anyone. Um, if you want to become a Patreon subscriber to us and suggest movies for us to review and potpourris for us to potpourri and <laughs> everything, you can go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, pick one of the reward tiers and, uh, we will do your bidding. Um, and yeah, so, and also if you enjoyed, uh, us reviewing something that, a listener uh, suggested Robert is actually a, a Patreon subscriber for my solo podcast anthology. And I'm going to be reviewing um, some thing, things that he selected in the coming weeks. I promise I'm going to get back into that. And I, I swear I'm going to get those uh, posted. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. So having said that, do you want to do some potpourri tiny? Sure. All right. And do you mind if I, how many do you have first? I just got the one, the one. Okay. I can throw out two. Um, I'm going to get us kicked off with um, Paddington. So last episode, um, as part of Robert's um, uh, suggestion for um, us to review Pan's Labyrinth, I asked him to throw out a random number and I will watch whatever that number corresponds with on my Netflix queue and review it as potpourri. So uh, he selected number 97. So I... Picked number 97 on my Netflix queue, and it happened to be the, I think it was 2014 movie, Paddington, based on the uh, children's books, British, I think British children's books, uh, Paddington, about mm-hmm. the, the bear. Um, and <laughs> it's funny because kind of similar to Pan's Labyrinth, uh, going into Paddington, I did not know that it was live action. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is live action with a CGI bear, um, which I tweeted and said it's... It's live action with CGI bears, but I accidentally typed love action with CGI bears, which would have been a completely different movie. <laughs> but uh, but Paddington is a very, a pretty charming movie. Um, I know that I was kind of excited to watch it because Paddington 2 just recently came out um, and it has gotten a lot of positive buzz as being a very good, um, a, ver- a very good like emotional movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those who don't know, um, uh, the plot summary according to IMDb for the first Paddington, Paddington from 2014 is a young Peruvian bear travels to London in search of a home, finding himself lost and alone at Paddington station. He meets the kindly Brown family who offer him a temporary haven. So it kind of, in <laughs> oddly enough, um, related to, to kind of relate it back to Pan's Labyrinth and Guillermo del Toro, um, 
one of the uh, one of the leads in the movie is Sally Hawkins, who uh, play uh, who played El, uh, Elisa in The Shape of Water. So, hmm. anyway, um, I I thought that Paddington was very charming. Um, the voice of Paddington is Ben. Uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Um, Ben, uh, Ben, we, uh, Ben Wish, Wishaw, uh, Q from, um, right. The Bond movies from, uh, Daniel Craig Bond movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his interactions, Paddington's interactions with the world and everything is very charming. It's kind of this kind of standard, um, clumsy bear out of his element, fish out of water kind of, kind of scenario. And the family he meets is very, very kind, but the the patriarch of the family, played by Hugh Bonneville, is very much against having him stay with stay with them. So there's a lot of kind of comedic, kind of slapstick kind of conflict that happens in the beginning of the movie when he comes home with them. And also also kind of funny, um there is a scene where um Paddington is in the bathroom. He's using the facilities before dinner. The water closet. Yeah, yeah, the water closet. And <laughs> he, uh, he does like he, cause he's, you know, a bear and he's clumsy and everything. Um, he does something that is weirdly extremely reminiscent of a movie or a scene in the shape of water. So I can't go into specifics, but like there's okay. a, there's a very important pivotal scene in the shape of water that is also a very uh, similarly depicted scene, except without any kind of sex involved <laughs> in Paddington, which was really weird because as soon as I as soon as I saw Sally Hawkins, I was like, I hope she doesn't like like uh, you know bang a fish, yeah, or bang Paddington. <laughs> um, and then I saw that and I was like, whoa, this is kind of weird because here in about three years, a scene is going to have – anyway. <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, what, with the movie kind of doesn't fall apart for me, but it kind of uh, became a little lackluster for me is that it kind of falls into this tropish like family animated comedy kind of thing where – like of course you have bad guys who are going to go after Paddington and then and then they like there's a whole sequence that's kind of like Home Alone but with a bear okay um which is funny and everything but it kind of it reminded me of like i don't know it reminded me a little bit too much of like standard kids movies and not that there was anything wrong with it but like mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman's in it as the villain and uh uh-huh. Peter Capaldi uh wow. is also in it as a guy who gets roped into the villain's plot. Hmm. Um, there's some character elements that I kind of appreciated, like some kind of turns in the plot that I, I was kind of like, oh, that's that's cool. That's that's a really interesting way to t- kind of tie everything together. Um, and then, uh, yeah, but, but by the end of it, I was like, I felt like a little bit, the, like the other characters were a little underdeveloped. Like Paddington himself is kind of like he's charming, and like Ben Ben Weishaw does a really great job of vocalizing the emotions of the character. But it's also kind of like we get his silly slapstick stuff, but we don't get like too much of a connection with the with the family or anything. Um, it's kind of shoehorned in, kind of toward the end. But okay, overall, it's an hour and a half. It's not a waste of time. It's pretty charming and. Uh, if you're into that kind of like kids movie kind of aesthetic, you'll you'll enjoy it. And I'm curious to check out Paddington 2 and see what the big hubbub is over that. 
Okay. Yep. Interesting. Um, yeah. I'm surprised you dedicated that much time to Paddington. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> Patreon. <about> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I'll ever see that one. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad way to spend 95 minutes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, well, if you want yeah. a bad way to spend 90 minutes. Oh, oh okay. Watch The Circle. <laughs> I have heard horrible things. It's actually an hour and 50 minutes, so it's worse than that. God. Um, it's a really bad movie. Wow. Really bad movie. It's just, I don't know what happens in it. <laughs> Like I, I it's, it's it is a completely cogent story mm-hmm. up until the last ten minutes, and I have no idea what happens at the end. Really? Other than, I mean, I understand what, like, kind of what she does, but like, she like the main character makes this grand statement about like something. And it, she, I don't want to spoil anything, but she's sure. kind of like, she makes this grand statement about like this is what the future is going to be. And then like, it's like, wait, what's the future going to be? And like, I, I don't understand what the future is going to be. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And I don't understand what her plan is at the end. I just don't get it. Wow. There's like this takedown. And then she's like, this is what we're going to do now. And I'm like, wait, what do you get? What? Like I, I actually, I rewound it, re- rewinded it and watched wow. it again. I just, I don't know what the fuck happened. Huh. I don't know what happened in this movie. So um, I know that it's based on a book that's like very popular. Right. In my understanding of it, and you'll have to clarify it obviously, but okay. my understanding of it is that it has something to do with like a kind of a uh, futuristic display of like, like kind of social networking. Yes. Like it's kind of satirizing it or, or right. taking it a step farther so it's kind of like basically the circle is like a company that's like an amalgam of apple facebook and amazon okay so it's like you literally go to this website for everything everything Mm -hmm. it's like it's your twitter it's your instagram it's your facebook it's Pornhub. Yeah. Um, it's where you buy your stuff from. It's it's just everything. And they keep upping it and upping it. And eventually this main character gets a job there and she like becomes like the guinea pig for this idea where they create these tiny little cameras that are more than just cameras. They can like tell you the weather and they can like uh, sense all this stuff. I don't know. But like, and they're like 30 bucks. Oh, okay. So you can buy them and just put them anywhere because they're not Ooh. expensive and it's just like, I don't know, but like it's kind of weird. She, she basically decides to put them everywhere in her house and wear one at all times. So she's kind of okay. like, she's kind of like, um, um, porn hub Truman. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my God. She's kind of like Truman showing herself. Okay. Yeah. So that, like it goes to that level and it's just, it there are some very interesting moments mm-hmm. um th- there's there's some you know commentary on where all this social media is leading us to and how it's changing us as people and all that and some of that stuff's interesting commentary and you know there's obviously some issues that arise when she tries to open you know the entire world to what she does on a daily basis minute by minute mm-hmm. um and she like involves her family in it and stuff, and it kind of goes bad. It's 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 interesting uh, at Who's the at lead times. Again? Uh, Emma Watson. Emma Watson. Okay, yeah. and then Tom Hanks is kind of the bad guy. Yeah, he's he's the head of the company. He's okay. the Steve Jobs or the gotcha. Elon Musk kind of character. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, there's not there there are some interesting moments. 
Um, and I would almost say it's worth a watch for those, but it just, it, it literally goes nowhere. I just, I hated, I hate to like throw a whole movie out by the ending mm-hmm. or, or, you know, based on the ending, but it's kind of warranted in this story. Okay. In this movie anyways, I haven't read the book. I don't know how good the book mm-hmm. is, but I, I can imagine that the book is quite good. Um, I, yeah, I've heard good things about it. Yeah. Huh. But I, I'm hoping this is a poor interpretation of it because mm-hmm. I mean, I just really didn't like it. Um, okay. I wish I could elaborate on that. It's just, it's just, and it's all very, very bland. Um, mm-hmm. the, the main character just isn't all that interesting. And it's like, she, it's funny cause she like, she puts these cameras everywhere in her house and she's literally wearing a camera all day and she has millions of followers and stuff. And I'm like, oh, why? She's not, she's really not interesting. I mean, <laughs> she's very cute. She's a good looking mm. woman, but Pornhub. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I, it's, it is not good. It has a 5.3 rating on, uh, wow. on IMDb, which I thought mm. was kind of generous. I, really? I'd probably give it like one and a half stars out of five. Yeah. I've, I've heard really terrible things. It's, it's not good. Um, it's not good. Damn. And John Boyega's in it. Oh, really? Which bums oh. me out because I want to yeah. see him do good things. Mm. And isn't he in the Pacific Rim? He is. He, he plays Idris Elba's son. Okay. In uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. I think that's right. Think, yeah. So it better be good. Yeah. Uh, the trailers look kind of interesting, but I, yeah. I don't know. Um, but that's interesting. Yeah. The circle. I've, yeah. It's, it's on my Amazon Prime. It's free on there. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I I don't want to spend the time to watch it if it's going to be a bad movie because yeah. judging from the podcast output recently, I don't have a lot of time. Yeah. So. I hear you. Yeah. I'd rather watch three seasons of Cheers or. Yeah, are. but anyway, yeah. or play Arkham, um, the Cape and Cow podcast coming soon. Um, but yeah, it uh, that's that's a bummer. That's that's a bummer. yeah, yeah, yeah. It sucked. Hmm. Uh, and the kid from uh, Boyhood is in it. Oh, really? Uh, Eller Cole? Yes, Eller Coltrane. Coltrane. Coleman. Colton. Cole something. Eller. I, don't know. I think it's Coltrane. I think it's Coltrane. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah he's in it. Um, and okay. he's, he's fine. How old is he in it? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. He starts out as a boy. Nice. Actually, he Benjamin Buttons. He starts out as a 25 oh, nice. year old. At the end, he's six. No. Um, uh, he's, he's in his 20s. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He, I, 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 that's because that was my biggest complaint about boyhood was that he's just a shitty actor. Right. Um, and I, how, I, yeah. How is he in like an actual, he, he was fine. Movie. He was fine in actual okay. movie, an actual movie. Um, like one that he actually has a script. Right. Right. Um, he was, he was fine. He's, he's nothing. He's not that great. Okay. I mean, um, but he, he wasn't distractingly bad like in boyhood. Okay. In my opinion. Interesting. Yeah. Well, well, that is the circle, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll close this out. I have two things that I could bring up, but I think I'm going to save one for potpourri because, or for for extended potpourri that we're going to be doing soon. Because I'm still formulating my thoughts on it, even a week and or two weeks after seeing it. It's oh. Annihilation, by the way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'll I'll report back on that later. But for to round us out for this week's episode, um, I want to mention ER. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Now, I know I've been tweeting a lot. I know I've been mentioning ER a lot. But what I'm going to say is that I just started season six. And 
Uh, the incomparable Alan Alda does a guest guest arc in the beginning of season six. Nice. And a couple things. One is that season six introduces Goran Viznik as yes. a as a main actor in the in the in the uh, in the show. He's like Serbian or Croatian. Uh, Croatian. Croatian. Yeah. yeah. And the character is at least I don't I don't know about the actor. Right. But um. But he becomes a main cast member. But also, like I, I kind of got a little bit of a laugh out of myself um, <laughs> because uh, Alan Alda does a guest spot at the beginning, and then also they introduce a new a new character named Doctor Dave Minucci, I think, um, who is played by an actor who I've seen in one other thing, and I kind of, I kind of, I kind of like the idea of like the the ER like press packet for season six saying like, Oh, season six, uh, adds, <laughs> adds the iconic Alan Alda. And also the actor who played Jennifer Love Hewitt's creepy kind of incestuous cousin in can hardly oh wait. My God. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I just kind of like that juxtaposition. Yeah. Um, but that guy, he, like, he does a fine job in ER. He's, okay. the character is kind of an ass, but, like, it's kind of like one of those, like, you kind of love to hate him kind of characters. Okay. But, um, but yeah, to, anyway, to actually bring up my actual point, Alan Alda, unbelievable. Like, that guy, he is just out of this world amazing. Like, he has such a talent in this, in this run of episodes that he's in, in ER, to just really make you, feel for the character and then he has this commanding presence that like just in sheer sheer terms of hearing his voice like i could listen to him read the dictionary like his voice is incredible um but he plays this older doctor who uh joins the joins the team at county and uh it's slowly kind of unravels that he's not up to doing like in like an inner city emergency room rotation. Okay. And it's like the the stress that that puts on him is really really um urgent. Like it ha- it has this urgency to him that leads to some really incredible acting from Alan Alda and then also uh Laura Inns, Laura Inns um who um who played uh, Lowell's um, estranged wife in Wings? Um, Laugh track sitcoms. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so she like they have like she he is like an old mentor of hers, and like there's this dynamic between the two of them where she like knows like she's she's kind of in denial about his his like effectiveness, and like there's just some really rich dramatic moments between the two characters throughout this run of episodes, and like watching it. I think I mentioned in another episode that I've, I have kind of this list of, uh, TV shows that made the list, uh, like a list of TV shows that I haven't seen that were included in, um, the book, TV, the book by Alan Seppenwall and Matt Zoller sites. So I have a checklist of all the shows that they listed in their top 100 American television shows, um, 
list. I have a list of the ones I haven't seen. It's like 79 movie or 79 shows that I haven't seen to completion. ERs on it, Batman the animated series, Cheers, like those are all shows I'm okay. currently watching. But one of them is of course Mash, which mm. of course Alan Alda was played Hawkeye in. Yes. And it bums me out so much that Mash is not available to stream or buy digitally anywhere. Dang. Yeah, and like I was like I'm so primed to watch Mash right now because Alan Alda blew me away on er nice and so uh kind of uh an anecdote to end the episode on i went to walmart the other day and uh <laughs> like walmart has like you you know how like walmart and like target have those like collections of like classic tv shows uh-huh. that are like just like bare bones releases and stuff mm-hmm. they had basically before before finding this at walmart i had looked online and like to buy physical dvds of mash it's like 20 bucks a pop or i think yeah 20 bucks a pop okay for 11 seasons and so i saw a package from afar that was like seasons nine through eleven for 25 bucks nice and i'm like oh my god oh my god it's happening it's happening <laughs> and then right next to it was mash seasons five through eight 25 bucks i'm like oh my god and then i looked seasons one through four nowhere to be found Uh, like of course i could like they weren't like i even looked on walmart.com and they were not like available anywhere in any other store oh my god and so i was like i tweeted a picture of it i was like walmart why you do this (laughs) Um, (laughs) and so like i almost bought at least five through eight so that i could eventually like collect one through four and then watch but okay yeah, but I didn't. I just bought toilet paper instead. Uh, yeah. Adulting. Yep, yep. Alan Alda is terrific. Um, I haven't actually seen him in a lot. Yeah. But what jumps out to me is uh, is actually both performances are him as a politician. Um, mm-hmm. Catch Me If You Can, he plays that senator um, who's kind of McCarthy-ish. That's right. Okay. Um, and then, uh, or no, not catch me if you can. Um, the Aviator. Oh yeah, I don't know why I said. Oh, that's right, because I didn't know. Steve, <laughs> <laughs> a different Leo DiCaprio movie. Right. Um, the Aviator. He plays the kind of McCarthyish uh, mm-hmm. senator. Um, and then The West Wing. Uh, I think he's in season six. That's right. I saw it in his IMDb. Yeah. Um. He's in like most of the season, or maybe ten or eleven episodes of a. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what, but he he plays the a Republican nominee for president. God, him doing Sorkin dialogue. Yes, man. There there is an entire episode mm-hmm. that is just a debate between him and um. Why can't I think of his name? Martin Sheen. No. Um, can remember the character's name, Matthew Santos. Oh, um, Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith. Thank yeah. you. It, it is literally just a debate between him. Like the, it's not even like a scripted TV show. It's like they filmed an actual NBC debate debate between the two. That's amazing. And it it is amazing. It's incredible. Um, wow. And his character is just so phenomenal in that show. Mm-hmm. He's he's like kind of a one of kind of actor. I agree with you. Yeah. And I've seen a handful of episodes of Mash, and I'm always like, man, I could really get into this show because mm-hmm. it's it is a very intelligent and like quick kind of comedy yeah like it's not it's not your standard sitcom comedy right. it's very it's very quick comedy it's... so would we cover it on our new podcast oh my god <laughs> the cape and cow <laughs> god damn it um but yeah I, I i agree he's phenomenal and 
yeah, uh, it kind of makes me want to watch Mesh as nice. well. Yeah, same here. Like, I mean, honestly, if I if I had the means and if it was available to buy like on like Google Play and stuff, yeah. I would buy the whole series in a heartbeat. Right. But I'm surprised it's not. I'm surprised one of the streaming services hasn't hasn't snatched it up. Me too. And like I was thinking about that when I was uh, perusing Walmart. I was like, you know, I could just buy because I have the money. Like I can spend that money now, buy the majority of the series, and then down the road just get one through four at my leisure. Right. But I know the second that I get like the fourth season or the first season. Uh, it'll show up on like Hulu or yeah, Amazon Prime. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's why I held out for ER and it's paying out dividends for me now. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. To ER is human. To ER is human. <laughs> the Cape and Cal. <laughs> the laugh track. Yeah. <laughs> God. Pornhub, the podcast. Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's going to do it for this episode. Yeah. Uh, next week, I think we're going to do an extended potpourri tiny. Okay. And then, um, and then, oh, you know, it's coming. (laughs) It's coming soon, tiny. Uh, well, first I kind of want to do also ready player one whenever I think it releases like next week. Okay. Yeah. So we'll do extended potpourri and then, uh, ready player one. And then in April, tiny, do you know what we're doing? What are we doing? Infinity War. We are doing Infinity War. I am War. so pumped for that. Totes. Um, it was brought up in the in the group chat or in the Facebook group, um, and I concur. And I was planning on doing this also. We should do like a pre episode, like just an mm. episode all about leading up to Infinity War. And I kind of want the idea, like the idea behind it is like it, like well, actually, this is Tony's idea from the from the Facebook group, um, to get like everyone in the Facebook group to give like rank their their. Um, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies and then also I kind of want to do like a death pool <laughs> okay like us guess who is going to die in Infinity War mm, yeah um, yeah so anyway it'll be fun that's next month they moved it up <laughs> they moved up the release one they week. did so which of course awesome. they fucking did they're yeah, Marvel of they can do whatever they yeah. want oh yeah um, but yeah did you see that uh, Entertainment Weekly did like and then they're doing like an inf- the, I think it's the it may be the April edition. Mm. Um, it's all about it's like the main the t- title cover is Infinity Wars. Yeah, and they have like sixteen different variants of the cover. God, because and it's not like okay, here's Iron Man, here's Hulk, right. here's Thor. It's like this is like three characters from different universes all on one cover. And they wow. still had to do like 15 or 16 covers. My God. Yeah. Like star Lord and black Panther are on one cover. And then like, like Iron Man got his own and the Hulk got his mm-hmm. own, but like half of them are at least two characters. That is nuts. It's crazy. How many that people. movie is going to be insane. It is. It is. God, And I'm just so amazed. They're going to do it. They're going to pull it off. They are. They're going to pull it off. <sighs> Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so uh, check out Patreon for my uh, commentary <laughs> tracks and everything. Tiny, if you want to record a commentary at some point, you know. Okay. Throw it out there. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and yeah, that'll do it for this episode of the Obsessive Viewer. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. 
If you'd like to support the show, the best and easiest way is to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. More ratings and reviews means it'll be easier for people to find the show in the highly competitive film and TV podcast genre. It also provides us with valuable feedback on the show. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a one-time PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate or become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for recurring donations with different reward tiers. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, notebooks, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can also buy other great Tee Public designs in our store, and we'll get a small commission on the sale. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. We love to hear from you guys. You can contact us by emailing podcast at obsessiveviewer.com or by tweeting us at obsessiveviewer, at obsessivetiny, and at I am Mike White. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer where you can take part in discussions and polls between episodes. For more podcast content, check out Anthology, Matt's solo podcast where he's reviewing The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and exploring other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows. You can find Anthology at anthologypod.com and anywhere podcasts are found. For book lovers, you can check out our sister site at obsessivebooknerd.com for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice. Once again, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time.